On the new podcast, American Criminal, you'll learn about the fraud, theft, and murder that marks the dark side of the American dream. Like the Menendez murders, was it two greedy kids who killed their parents for money, or is there more? Listen to American Criminal wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to the Goldmine Podcast. This is editor Pat Prince, and Goldmine is the music collector's magazine since 1974. This episode of the podcast, we have as guests the founders of Analogger, Thomas Scriven and Francis Porter. And Analogger has really made its space in the auction arena. It's uh, spelled A-N-A-L-O-G-R, and you could go to analogger.com to find out more about the company. But with the Analyzer guys, we have longtime Beatles collector Tom Fontaine as a guest, too. All of us got together on February 7th and did an interview for an online article for goldminemag.com. And we also went on, uh, because we wanted to talk more, and did this separate podcast. Why did we get together on February 7th? Because it was the 60th anniversary of the Beatles landing at JFK in America. And also on that day, Analogger and Tom wanted to announce the Beatles auction, this Beatles auction that we're going to be talking about. It's called the Beatles Experience, which is the mass Beatles collection of Tom Fontaine. It's being auctioned off and is highlighted really by an autographed rare photo by Pan Am of the Beatles at JFK on that day that is quite rare, which Tom will explain why in this episode. I mean, it's funny, during the podcast episode that we did, they all gave me a little show-and-tell of all these other items in the auction as well, Um, like a really cool John Lennon drawing, different drawings, uh, handwritten lyrics by Paul McCartney and George Harrison. They even talk about uh, a desk and chair from John Lennon's childhood. Again, you could see all these items online at analogger.com. Um, the auction is in a previous day, and the gang are also hosting various events to, to make this a community thing for Beatles fans and collectors. Uh, for instance, on Sunday, February 25th, they hosted a live event with Chris Carter from Breakfast with the Beatles. Um, a lot of Beatles fans know who he is. Uh, and at the Hard Rock in Hollywood next to the renowned Chinese Theater. And then on March 2nd, they're holding another event at the auction house's Glendale, California showroom, featuring a Q&A session and a guided tour of the collection. The auction kicks off with a preliminary bidding on March 2nd. Uh, but anyway, we'll return after a short break. The Analogger team will be with us and Tom Fontaine to explain the auction more and get the backstories on different Beatles items. It's really must-listen for rock fans and, of course, Beatles collectors. Be right back. Hey, Pantheon listeners, Christian Swain here. You caught me just finishing up some editing on Getting Real with John and Beth. I want to share my first experience with Factor Meals for you. I think you'll find this interesting because I bet the same thing happens to you. 
I had just received my first shipment from Factor Meals the other day, and I was excited to try one of the prepared restaurant-quality meals for myself. Anyway, I was working away and noticed it was very late, and it was my night to make dinner. I jumped up and headed to the kitchen, went to grab the ingredients for the dish I was going to make, and realized I was missing a prime ingredient. Well, I could make a run to the store, or I could make one of my new factor meals. <laughs> Actually, the choice was easy. I grabbed a cavatappi, an Italian-style pork ragu with garlic broccoli, heated the oven per instructions, and minutes later was enjoying a very delicious, nutritious, and dietitian approved meal. It really was everything factor meals said it would be. No prep, no mess meals. Factor meals are 100% ready to heat and eat. Take it from me and head to factormeals.com slash pantheon50 and use the code Pantheon50 to get 50% off. That's factormeals.com slash Pantheon50 and use the code Pantheon50 to get 50% off. Hey, welcome, guys. So we got Francis Thomas and Thomas. Tom. Okay, great. I guess the best way to do this, usually I do one-on-one -on -one with a podcast, but maybe what I'll do is just uh, each one of you can... Um, Kind of introduce yourself. Maybe we'll start with the analogers. Great. Uh, my name is Thomas Scriven. I am a founder of Analogger. My name is Francis Porter. I'm a co-founder of Analogger. My name is Tom Fontaine, and I am been a collector since I was five years old, and I am now 65. <laughs> a diehard. I'm also an author, and I, I as as well too. Right. Well, maybe you could. Okay, so let's start about uh, everything Beatles. Maybe you can describe the event, what's coming up. Uh, maybe we'll start with the Interlarger guys. Sure. So we have a location in Glendale. Uh, we specialize working with estates and collectors on mm -hmm. telling a story about their assets. And uh, we believe our process uh, helps make them investment grade. And so we've been working with Tom for several years, probably been about three years since we began this process with him. And this is our very first uh, event that we're doing around his Beatles collection. Tom has a collection that spans from ABBA to Zappa. Um, he is really uh, well known in circles as, as you know, being a lifetime collector and also an authenticator and a Beatles expert. So, we, um, so we're, we're making the announcement about the collection, uh, this part of the collection going live. And then, uh, and then we have here at our showroom on March 2nd, we're doing another event, um, which will, you know, have a Q&A and then we'll also take people through the, the collection that we have here. The auction will be live on, it goes live on the 7th, which is preliminary bidding. And then it, it's actually um, goes into timed rounds uh, on, starting on uh, February 29th. So that's what okay. we're up to. We're really excited about this. We put a lot of time and work into it. And honestly, this is the, just the very beginning of many because Tom has a prolific collection and he is, um, you know, just a joy to work with. We're, we're so thrilled to do this. Yeah, I was looking over the collection. What I love about it, it's uh, something for everyone, something for every collector, meaning if someone's got a small budget or a very large one. And, you know, as a guy who collects myself, I can't afford, you know, sometimes you get these auctions, right? You feel like you're at a car show. You can only look, you can't afford, right? Can't afford to get it. But 
here I see I can I can afford to get some of these things, you know, which I think, you know, you get collectors in all shapes and sizes. So um, maybe Thomas, we, we could Tom, we could talk a little bit about how you started becoming a beetle collector. I always love these stories um, because, you know, it seems like everyone loves the beetles. Right. But why does one start to collect the beetles? That's the story I like. Well, I I appreciate the you asking me because it's very interesting how it all started. It started in the summer of 1964. Uh, I'm from Indianapolis, Indiana, and there was a heavy duty rainstorm, and there was a couple girls running for cover, and all of a sudden a bunch of cards flew out of their hands. And next thing Ooh. I know, I saw them all laying there. And after the rain stopped, I went ahead and picked them all up and put them on a register to try to heat them up in the summer, which is smart, but I did it anyway. And it was the Beatles cards. And uh, so once I saw those, I, I, I asked my mother, cause my, my uncle Johnny had a private grocery, you know, had a public you know, private grocery store and uh, just a small one, not a private one, but anyway, but uh, I had asked him, he said, um, uh, I showed the cards to him and he goes, Oh, that's those darn Beatle cards the girls are buying. And I go, well, I would like to get them too. So what I did was through the, the entire summer, I went ahead and, and uh, he put about 10 or 12 packs of cards in there. And once I started really kind of collecting them, I went down to my local, uh, local drugstore and started buying magazines. And from there, I just was just a major Beatles fan. And so anything I heard about the Beatles... I would also actually I would also talk to my parents about it because they really didn't know all that much about them. So technically, what I did with my mother, my father, my brother, I turned my I turned my whole family on to the Beatles. So it was a Beatles it was a Beatles house by the time mm. I got stopped talking because I was always very enthusiastic about everything that I did when I collected and I still am today. I feel like I'm still that five year old kid, the you know the six year old kid to pick up those Beatle cards. So, but that's how it all started. And then obviously over the years, you progress from the records and the, and, you know, to, uh, memorabilia. And, um, I was a big V, I was a big video, man. I love to see old things of the Beatles when they were on video and stuff. Mm -hmm. And then it just progressed and progressed to the collection, uh, that, um, I've had, um, over the last 25 years. So where are those Beatles cards now? I have two or three of them and they're still riggedy, but, uh, but what I did was I did end up, I did end up getting the, uh, uh, the rest of the sets and everything like that. Matter of fact, my original collection is at, um, of my uh, Beatles cards are over in are an analoger right now. And wow. uh, yeah. Oh yeah. They got my cards too, man. I, it's, <laughs> it's, uh, these, these are my guys. So, so it, some it, of the, Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. It was a, it was a very very long arduous process to let <laughs> let Tom, for Tom to let these things go and for us to be entrusted to be the stewards of of these things. But uh, yeah, it's uh yeah, yeah we, we appreciate would, yeah. And I'll tell you, I'd like to add what he was saying is that over the years I've had several auction companies, companies, everything like that have wanted to represent my collection and and things like that. But it really I just, it just, nothing really, really fit until um, I got the call from Thomas and we started talking. And, and when I knew that they were very serious is because they took the time and the effort 
to come to Indianapolis and see and meet my wife, Mary and I, and just really just treated us so well. And they knew what my vision was. My vision has always been the backstory of an item because that's how I collected. And, and they, they love that vision and it just kind of mixed together. And I couldn't be more proud to be, be a part of, uh, of, of this team. Yeah, they're an exciting company. And one thing I want to get back to is, um, you know, every time I ask this question to a collector that is auctioning off their collection, it usually is because, well, I got to size it down, um, retiring. And one thing they often say is, you know, I'm going to bring joy to someone else's life because some collector is going to buy this and that's going to bring joy to them. Do you have the same sort of philosophy? Without a doubt. I mean, the, you know, the one thing about it is when you collect, you really enjoy it and everything. And then there is a time, and especially at the age I'm at now, it is time for someone else to enjoy the, the memories and the preservation of having these incredible artifacts intact and, 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 you know, didn't get thrown away in the at from the attic or anything like that. And so, yeah, it is time for other people to, to own these. And uh, I will tell you this, though, Pat, it took a lot. I mean, even the fact is that I was in the process of doing all this. I finally had to tell myself it is time for, you know, other people to enjoy this. And, and, and like I said, the cool part about this, what we're doing is we can tell a lot of the backstories and things like that. Because um, there's, some, I mean, I've had so many incredible stories on how I ended getting things and gotten directly from the people who met the Beatles themselves and everything like that. So, um, yeah, we're, we're really, really excited about this. And I'm, I'm noticing here that you talked about 1964, and I'm seeing some of the items here, the, mm -hmm. the bobblehead dolls, right? Mm -hmm. The caboodle yeah. kit. Th so those are yeah. original. Those are when you bought, those are things you bought as a kid. Well, some things I did buy as a kid that's in this collection, but other things, as I as I said earlier, I started progressing to buy right. magazines and things. But I will say, I, you know, um, you know, one thing is, Pat, I'm a collector. Mm -hmm. I'm always going to probably buy something, and and so therefore, if something always comes comes my way that is something that I may not have had or anything like that, I'll get it. But I must admit, I, I haven't bought like the toys. That was probably the last 20, 25 years, 20 years ago, probably. But uh, but now they're there, including, by the way, also, too, I wanted to tell you when you mentioned about the caboodle kit and the and the uh, bobbing heads, we also have the Beatles record player. And, oh, and, okay. and, and, if, and, if, and, you know, collectors know that that is like the in those days, that was like the holy grail of Beatles collectibles. Right. I mean. You know, and uh, and it displays incredible. And I got to tell you, the only way you can dis display it is put the original capital swirl. I want to hold your hand on it. It just right. it just fits it. And that's how we actually were going to be presenting it at, at, the, at the sale. I wanted to ask you about some of the. First of all, what do you consider here to be the Holy Grail now in this collection that is being auctioned? Well, I would, I would have I know to that's say, a tough question, but what, no, what do no, you think I, is... No, and, it, and, it's a, and it's an absolutely fair question. Um, there are some really, really incredible one-of-a-kind items in this, in this uh, event. And, I mean, things come to my mind. You know, you always can't go wrong with handwritten lyrics. 
I mean, you know, having something handwritten by a Beatle, which we do have is with uh, the, the Paul McCartney goodbye lyric and then right. the, you know, the George Harrison while my guitar gently weeps. Well, what they did in May of 1968, and you might know this, uh, John and Paul came to New York, announced Apple. And once they did, and, and they were after when they got back to England, they basically got some artists, including James Taylor and uh, for one. And then also they were very high on Mary Hopkins especially mm. Paul. So Paul went into the studio. Well, what he did was he wrote this, he wrote the song goodbye, which is still is, which is considered a Lennon McCartney composition. And he gave this to Mary Hopkin to, to record, but he was through, he went through the entire process. So not only did he basically, as you see, he pinned the draft down of the, of the lyrics. He also puts the chord structures above it. Because that's what a lot of things what Paul would do. He would work on chord structures besides, you know, besides just, you know, besides the lyrics. So this is the actual first draft for for Goodbye. And uh, Mary Hopkin recorded it. And if you see the video, you'll see Mary and Paul in the studio as well on the on the video. So um, but the, the, the real cool thing about this, though, Pat, is uh, there was an Abbey Road box set that came out a few years ago. And Paul put the entire his entire full script of goodbye on the same Apple uh, Apple stationery, and right. you can just see how it continued to flow as he was writing this. So one thing about it is with me, I think first drafts are incredible because that was the first thing that crossed their mind when they basically pinned it down. Yeah, it's got uh, you know I, collectors are into the minutia. I love how that's some cool stationery. You know? Yes, it is. Yes, it is. <laughs> it's yes, not like it it's is. on a napkin or anything. It's it's yeah, cool yeah, that's true, that's true. And that lyric itself has actually been published in Beatles magazines. Uh, and you can you can you can see you can see, I think it's on the, uh, the on the on the corner of one of the magazines. And I said, oh my gosh, there's the lyric. <laughs> you know, so right. it's pretty cool. But I will tell you this also too, uh, if I can share this, Pat, is that what we are doing is something a little bit different. We are putting ensembles together that basically complement the item themselves. But we also have the 45. We have this incredible award that was given to Mary Hopkin. And then we and then we also have the sheet music. And that all that is the package. So you almost have your little mini display that you can have related to to this. And actually we have we have provided that with other items as well, too. Yeah. Now I also like the some of the attire here. You got a George Harrison jacket, the blue velvet jacket, and it's, yeah. Um, if you if you look, um, what this is now. This is an interesting. This is interesting thing about the George jacket. Um, this was from Madame Tussauds. If you go That's to funny. like night, well, what happened was when the Beatles were doing, you know, they were. Madame Tussauds was changing their statues every year because obviously Beatles were the trend. Whatever the Beatles were doing, everybody else was following. So therefore, that's why they had changes. So what they did, they would ask John, Paul, George, and Ringo if they would donate some of their clothing. I mean, the early ones had their, you know, their potch suits, you know, the, and the milling suits and things like that from the early days. But they also had had their own clothings like for instance this george harrison is from lord john's on carnaby street right. you know that's where george shopped you know and and um so so what we will show is we have a picture 
of George, uh, George's statue or uh, mannequin and the jacket is he's wearing the jacket, which is really, really cool. But that's how they got the clothing. They got the clothing from the Beatles themselves. Wow. That's which really cool. makes this really, really cool. And, and so, and so interesting for a collector to own, you know, own, own a piece of the Beatles, man. I mean, that's pretty darn cool. Yeah. Because they're, during that stage, like you said, the Carnaby Street stage, they wore some pretty cool um, clothing, a lot different from when they first began. And that's what makes it so interesting. I guess if you want to call it groovy colors, but some of the stuff was kind of out there, right? So, well, yeah, that's yeah. what I, I I wanted to check that out. I thought that was pretty interesting. And yeah. uh, I also thought, you know, when you talk about this, it says here, display only for event but the george harrison suit jacket on an ed sullivan mm -hmm. performance see stuff yeah. like that that has a historical bent to it is really nice um that that is very cool that's like museum type stuff right there well you know the thing it is is that when you go through and you actually visually see these uh like on online and everything you're gonna say that on a lot of them uh, there's a lot yeah. of things that could be in a museum and, and I'm not bragging on this. I'm very proud of it because I yeah, mean, to yeah. be the, be the owner of these incredible items that can now basically be sent out to museums, collectors and everything like that is, is, is absolutely fantastic. And, and, and you did mention real quickly, you mentioned about the clothing. We also have John Lennon's psychedelic robe. And uh, so therefore it has all these little colors that you were kind of talking about. And if you're familiar with the um, Dot Jarlett family, Dot Jarlett was uh, John's housekeeper and several, several clothings were given to uh, Dot and the family by John. Matter of fact, the, uh, the famous uh, of, uh, coat from uh, Rubber Soul, where John's on Rubber Soul, that was actually Dot Jarlett had that. And of course a collector ended up purchasing that, but, Dot's name is like gold in the in in the in the field of uh, of John Lennon ownership of clothing and things like that. So um, and that's really what's important here is to know the fact is that you have the the story, the backstory, the documentation, and everything like that as as a as a major comfort level to own these incredible items. Yeah, and this for the analoger guys, I think what. Uh, you're fortunate to have Tom's collection as a whole because a lot of times in auctions you see the Beatles stuff kind of placed in with all the rest. You know, it's like a classic rock auction, or uh, I like it when it's more thematic. You know, I I never I never hear back from the auctions if that seems to do better than the uh, ones that are all you know mix and match. But I, I think they I think these kind of auctions do a lot better. Yeah. Well, so we just did a Grateful Dead auction, and we're doing another one now that they're announcing the Sphere shows in May. We're doing it in oh, May. Yes. Yeah. That was that was really, um, you know, because we work with, you know, people that were there, people that were part of the crew. You know, when we had our event in downtown, we had uh, a lot of the legal and business affairs side of the Dead show up. Like it was, it was perfect. So bringing those types of communities are exactly what we're looking to do here with the Beatles. And that's why the Chris Carter inclusion and, you know, these uh, Q&A um, guests that we're going to be really happy to announce when we can. At, we're, we're doing everything to bring the community of the Beatles into this. Um, 
I, I actually pulled a couple things, Tom, that I can um, put up on screen if, screen if you want to talk a little bit more about them, because some okay. of these things are, are just really extremely rare. So this one. Yeah, that is uh, original sheet music of While My Guitar Gently Weeps. And the entire sheet is actually filled out all by George Harrison, including the chord structures, the verse, everything is all by him. And how this came to be about, George and Eric Clapton did that live in Japan uh, tour. And then there was going to be a book, put, there was a book put out by Genesis Publications. And it was going to be as, with the same title, Live in Japan. Well, George Harrison actually went over to the printing company where the uh, book was being done. And he brought the sheet music over and, uh, you know, just basically talked to him and said, you know, we want you know, try to have this in there for the book and everything. And um, what's really, really cool, and then this is the backstory part about it is, too, is while George was there, um, he visited with them. They had drinks and stuff like that. And then at the same time, when he brought that sheet music, they brought out the original proof, uh, big proofs of the book. And there was this great shot of George from the live in Japan. And George was kindly signed it to uh, to the to the guy who was basically at the, who was running the shop. And so and what happened was years as, as things happened years later, um, they located the the located the sheet music. And uh, and this is how it how it happened and how we were able to have this, how I owned it and how it's being offered now to uh, to that special collector who wants this. I mean, let's face it. While my guitar gently weeps is almost is, is a George Harrison signature song anyway. But mm -hmm. to have the sheet music and the chord structures, those were put together for the for the musicians because when they when they wanted to, wanted to make sure that who was on stage besides Eric and George that the backup musicians would know you know would know the song and so very very seldom you I mean if you see something penned by George now there's not a lot of George writing on there the title is there. But having all the chord structures on there is almost almost kind of like similar to what Paul McCartney does on his lyrics. So this is just a real special, special item. Any yeah. more show and tell? Is there more stuff? Yeah, we, can... <laughs> yeah, we have a handful of things we can we can show. Right. You. And keep in mind, we have thousands of items of Tom's. So so Tom, tell us a little bit about this. So when we were OK, so the re why are we announcing on February 7th, Tom? Well, while we're announcing on February 7th, obviously, it's the uh, they're celebrating the 60th anniversary of the day the Beatles arrived on, you know, on Pan Am 101, Boeing 707. And um, and obviously, as you all know, and we've seen this on film and everything like that, right after the Beatles came down, they had this impromptu press conference at Pan Am. And, uh, you know, the interesting thing about this, about this photo is obviously that's the shot of them there. but um, I always kind of say the fact is I really honestly think that the 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 press and the photographers were hoping that these guys were not going to, you know, they just weren't going to be they just want they didn't know if this was going to be a really, really good group or anything like that because they're coming from the UK. But I will say this, and I'm sure you probably know this. They were so well polished in 1963 when they were doing their flipping answers and press conference and everything like that. So when they got to Pan Am, they were ready. And so, but what, what Thomas was showing you, which is such an interesting photo, is the fact is this Pan Am photo is actually shot by Pan Am. Mm. And so this was like completely off the presses. 
And then the next day, the next day, they uh, and you've seen this in Beatle cards and magazines and stuff, you only saw John, Paul, and Ringo because, you know, George was ill. He was at the plaza basically getting taken care of by the doctor. So that's why you always see these, these publicity photos with just the three of them. Well, that day, they got the photo signed by John, Paul, and Ringo. And that's why George is not, uh, is not on there and everything. But this is a one-of-a-kind photo, Pat, from, from Pan Am themselves, signed by the three of them. Now, what we did as a compliment, because I had a Pan Am luggage ticket, it's oh. also signed by George Harrison. So we've put together, we've put together a, a nice ensemble. The photo itself, though, is so extremely, extremely rare. And there's, I mean, it's, it's, you know, it's for, for them arriving in America, that was the first place they went to. And having that sign at that Pan Am press conference image the next day is very, very historical, especially celebrating the 60th anniversary. Right. What did Pan Am, did they send out this photo? Did they get many printed and send it out to the press or did they just... Did that not happen? I'll tell you what, Pat. Um, the only thing I can say, it's the, you know, as I've been been doing this for years and years as an historian as well. I mean, because that's what I did. I mean, I, I mean, I like a lot of the history of the Beatles as well. I've never seen another one. I've never right. seen another one. And there's never been one signed. Uh, but yeah. I haven't seen that image either. And there's and different variations of these photographs that have shown up, but not this actual image. Yeah. And I will tell, and I will tell you this, Pat. You remember I mentioned to you about like an ensemble type of thing. What yeah. we want to add to it? Okay. Yeah. Well, you know, when the day the Beatles signed that, that was it. That was the time they went to Central Park. What we are adding with this photo and and the, and the tag is an original Diesel Hoffman photo of the three of them at Central Park. And Diesel was like the 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 photographer the Beatles hired. For right. their trip to trip to their first their first visit to America, mm. so we're adding that as well, and that has a rarity in itself because there's not a lot of Diesel Hoffman photos out there, but we wanted to add this because we wanted to show them the day that that photo was signed. Very cool. Now, um, also, I wanted to ask you. Okay, say we talked about how some of the larger ticket items. But say I'm a, a collector, a Beatles collector, and I've only got, uh, you know, a few hundred bucks, like $500 and under, say. What would you, what, if you had to advise me, what should I jump on? Not just as a, you'd say it's an investment too, right? But as a Beatles fan and someone who wants to invest, is there something, one thing in particular that you would advise to look, look out for this? Well, what I what I did when we put this collection out there, you said it right in the very beginning. I mean, this is this is a family friendly um, event, and and so, <clears throat> excuse me. Uh, there's there's um, there's some incredible posters from mm. the uh, the seventies uh, that people have not seen for a long time, uh, including actually the promotional. Um, the, the promotional uh, poster for Ram. That oh. is probably one of the rare, rare posters of all four of the Beatles. Um, and um, it's, it's, uh, we have that, we have that there. And also too, there's, there's, 
but there's also cool magazines, man, that came from right, right when the Beatles were there in 64. Um, New York, New York really, really put to, put out together some very, very, oh, there's, there's the Ram poster. And, um, and that's something that would be really cool to hang up on the wall because it's the, you know, I mean, it's fresh McCartney, Ram, I love people, people love Ram, but getting back to those magazines, I mean, you know, those are, those are, you know, we're starting those under a hundred dollars. And, and, and yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I want people to be excited about this. We want everybody to just enjoy what, what we're, what we're trying to present here. Yeah, I've seen some of those magazines and collectors really cherish those. What's that? What's that now you're holding? Oh, <laughs> okay, well, this is, um, well, this is not here. Uh, this is a poster that uh, when John and Yoko um, did an exhibit at the Everson Museum in Syracuse, uh, it started on John's birthday. And Yoko wanted to uh, start it on John's birthday as a gift. And they both appeared at the event. And so these, this is not here posters were there, but um, a lot of people did not show up on that day. So um, a lot of the posters, uh, if they would ask them to get signed, they would get them signed. Uh, but there's really, there's only about less than probably 10 or 11 that ever, ever survived. The rest of those posters, unfortunately, got thrown in the trash. So hmm. at those days, maybe people wanted to see the exhibit and didn't really want John and Yoko's autograph. But the other cool thing about this, this is also notary stamped as well, too, right on the black part of the uh, right part of the poster. And that's how they were. But this is a very, very yeah. rare poster because 1974, by the way, 1974. Uh, hmm. Actually, 19, sorry, Tom, it's 1971. Yeah, sorry. And, yeah, yeah. And so it was. Um, uh, uh, oh, you know what? He's right. I, what that means is when you see a 1974, when uh, when someone is is uh, putting the uh, the stamp onto it, that's the length of their expiration when they do a uh, when they do a, when they do a notarize. So I can understand when Thomas saw the 74, but most of the time when those are on there, that's when their time is up as far as being a notarizer. So, but uh, but anyway, I was going to say, and that's an incredible poster. And uh, a true, you know, last time I've only seen like one or two advertised within the last 15, 20 years. And this one is really great. We put it's 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 a really nice. Oh, OK, here we go. <laughs> Next. All right. Well, anyway, in 1976 and 1970 to 1977, for about a month, John Lennon attended a language arts class in New York City. And the reason why he attended that class, and a lot of people did not even know he even did this, but what he did was he wanted to learn Japanese writing. And, and because him and Sean and Yoko were gonna be going to Japan later on that year. So this was his way in Lennon's, in Lennon's way, because he always did a lot of drawing. He went to language arts class and created these incredible drawings. Um, that that are just I mean, and this one, personally, in my opinion, I would say this is the best one um, because it has so much detail. John basically is drawing himself. Are these ghosts or are these fans? Is he trying to walk out the door because he's being scared? So that's why he calls this dream number two. Right. So this is a, this is John's dream. And as he's sitting at the language arts class doing this. And then he also titled it in Japan, Japanese, well, too, I think it's 
Tori Masu or something like that. But what also really, really kind of uh, puts the topper to this one-of-a-kind drawing is that Yoko actually saw it. He's sliding on over a little bit. Oh, and basically here's what it tells on the back with John Lennon, New York City, language arts class. But in 2007, Yoko Ono signed the back of the, back of the drawing. So, so therefore, you've got Yoko's signature on the front, and then you've got John's drawing from the 70s, on, I mean, on the back, and then John's drawings from the 70s in the front. But I will tell you this is there are not there are not a lot of of John Lennon drawings out there. There was from the Bedians and things like that. But a lot of people didn't even know about this language arts class. And a few of those drawings have surfaced out there. Uh, but this one, I think, is actually the best one. And I will tell you this. I can say as a footnote, if I can, uh, just, you know, for people to listen or anything like that, because it's in my books as well. I was I was um, hired to authenticate 35 John Lennon drawings over uh, from three different through three different companies for this gentleman. And the reason why I'm bringing this up, obviously, because what we're talking about now and these incredible items and everything, um, I authenticated 34 out of 35 were not real. Wow. And then they took it to a forensics expert. And basically, and then he contacted me back and he said, you were 100 percent correct. And he was able to basically get his money back on all on all those drawings. And the reason why I bring that up is the fact is, is that when you're working with, you know, these very high end items and everything like that, you have to have a comfort level. And so therefore, that's why when I have the backstories and everything like that. I can really, really, really tell what, you know, what's going on. And with my background of writing books and actually uh, actually doing an actual Beatles autograph study, um, you know, it, it, it's, uh, you know, people can come to me on, on with this event and and they they need they will feel comfortable owning these incredible items on their walls, on their desk or everything like that, or even in even in their even in their bookcase. So, so yep. Pat, I, at yep. some point in time, we're going to publish the Beatles autograph study that Tom did. And okay. people, people use it uh, in the circle of authentication quite Go often. We're going we're gonna to actually uh, put the stamp on it. Um, I, there, are, there are two more things that I definitely want Tom to talk about. Um, one of them is the John Lennon childhood desk and, and chair. And, yeah. And then, and then the second one will be the, 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 the Brian... Uh, Doc, so yeah. you want to start about the 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 desk and chair, um, and then also the paperwork surrounding Aunt Mimi's place that goes with yeah, it. Yeah, absolutely. I, I tell you what, Pat, this is this is a, this is really really an incredible um, artifact that you mentioned about could be in the Smithsonian. This one could be in the Smithsonian. Well, I'll give you the story on it. In 1965, John Lennon uh, uh, bought a home for his beloved Aunt Mimi, who everybody knows Mimi Smith and everything like that. And she pretty much raised John in between. You know, Julia was around as well, too. But Mimi was the main person who basically John lived with and everything. And so he purchased his house in 1965 for her. And um, so anyway, there was this desk and chair was in uh, John's sitting room and for years, you know, for years and years and years. And how this came about was 
when Mimi was getting very, very ill, uh, the, uh, she had hired this uh, company called the Varco Agency. And it was a mother and daughter um, nursing that would take care of Mimi daily. And so it was Marjorie and it was Lynn. And so what happened was how this desk and chair happened was when Mimi, uh, before Mimi passed away and all the great work that they were doing for her, Mimi gave her gave them two items. The desk and chair was given to Marjorie and the other one was, the other item was given to Lynn. And I know you're gonna know about this and if I say it wrong the wrong way, but remember that, that, that saying where they said, a guitar's all right, John, but you'll never make a living out of it. Mm. Well, that was a plaque that Mimi gave to John, you know, sarcastically, whatever you want to call it. Mimi gave that to Lynn and then Marjorie got the desk and chair. And so, but what's, what, what's really, really nice about this, we were, we, I was low, I was able to locate and get Marjorie and, and, and Lynn both to tell their stories to confirm the desk and chair and everything like that, because they were there. And then the, and, and the one last thing I, I want to say about the thing with Mimi, when Lynn was writing the uh, note up and everything like that about the desk and chair, which will also is included with all this, she basically said that uh, right before Mimi died, she looked up in the corner and she said, hello, John, and peacefully passed away. Mm. That's inside things that was not on the inquirers in magazines or anything like that. That was directly from Lynn herself. And these, these two ladies just took, took care of her. But what we've done with this in my research, what I did was, I'm, as I told you, I'm, I'm a collector as, as, as we've known, as we know, I was able to locate the original paperwork of the purchase that John, when he dropped the, he, when he bought the house from, from Mimi. And it tells about all the rooms that are in there and everything like that. So, so you not only get the desk and chair, you get the original paperwork that John, when he bought the, when he bought the, uh, the house. Now, John has not signed that. These are, these are documents. They are actually signed, but, but it's just the purchase of, of the house. But then you've got this incredible memory and stories from Marjorie and Lynn that, that basically tells inside things that nobody else would have ever known. Right. That's incredible. You got that. Now, the other thing was from, you said, Eps oh, Brian Epstein, something. What is that now? I'm trying to look at well, it. Well, what that is, is um, it's a document. Yeah, stills? Yeah, where he, where Brian is is signing his car off on August 17th, 1970, oh. uh, 1967. As you well know, that's 10 days before he died. Right. So, but this could be the very, very last document of Brian Epstein that was going to NEMS and eventually went to his brother, Clive Epstein. But 10 mm. days before he died, he lets his car go. And everybody always wants to know when Brian died, was it suicide or was it accidental? But this document may shed a little bit of light on that. We're not making any kind of statements on that, but we also are showing that Brian did sign it 10 days before, his, before he died. And I'm kind of guessing that was the very last document he ever signed. Yeah, it's kind of poignant. Yeah, it's uh, it, it passes from Brian to Nems and then from Nems to Clive. Mm. So 67, 68. Now, one thing that, you know, kind of amazes me, and I think that, you know, if you're going into this as a Beatles fan or even just an investor, um, Beatles 
the popularity of the Beatles will probably last, you know, another 50, 100 years or forever, where it it just seems like, you know, kids are into the Beatles now, you know? And I know there was an Elvis doc and everything, but you don't see that kind of stuff for even Elvis. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah. True, uh, especially out the out for sale. But I, but the one thing about it is, you mentioned it was really important, is that to keep this memory alive, and people and these kids want to know about it. Yeah. And that's one thing about it is, is that you know, I'm an open book on the Beatles, and if they want to ask questions or anything like that, you know, we want to, you know, we want to educate. I mean, that was a lot of things that when I decided to, you know, to part with all these things. And they're going to go into different people's hands. I just, I just wanted, I wanted to let let them feel the history I have, and and uh, but it's also too as I've talked to you about just now about the Lennon desk and chair, is um, as you can tell, I mean I'm so passionate about all this. I mean you know and and uh, I think that brings it out. Um, you know I mean I've I've done exhibits before and things like that. And my wife has told me, she said, Tom, when you start talking about things, they kind of gather around, you know, they might be looking yes. around and stuff, but they want to hear what you have to say. And the nice part about it is, is Thomas and Francis has given me the voice to be able to do what I've always wanted to do. Well, Mr. Fontaine, it's been a pleasure. It's been an honor. What's, are you writing another book? What, what's going on? Is, is it okay for me to show this to you? Well, sure. what this is. Um, this is a book. It's called The Beatles Looking Back, The Final Trip. And the reason why I did the book and these every single item in this book, uh, Pat, I owned. They were once they were once owned by me. So this is kind of my legacy book. But I will also tell you also this will be the absolute best autograph study of the Beatles from the beginning to the end that you will ever see because every single page in here from the Royal command performance programs to drawings to, you know, I mean, I can go on and on from 67 John suit from, uh, you know, that famous shot of them in their jumper suits. Yeah. I own I, that. I, would, I, mean, I would there's get a that. Lot. One huh? of my most cher- I would definitely buy that. One of my most yeah. cherished books now is you ever see the, the Bill Wyman memorabilia book. Those I've heard about it, but I haven't. Yeah, had that's, to so this sounds like that. Yeah, I love stuff like that. Well, like I will. A, t- I will tell you this: is that the forward is by Chris O'Dell, who, mm-hmm. if you remember her name, she was Miss O'Dell, George Harrison on the flip side of "Give Me Love," but she also worked with the Rolling Stones and the Beatles and Bob Dylan, and she did the forward of my book, and so I'm real proud of that, of course, as well. But the nice thing about this is this we are doing a limited run of 100 of these large style books and i'm going to sign all of them and uh we're going to have those at all these different events that's leading up to you know to the sale and and everything like that but um you know so but right now they're being printed and once we get them and they'll be available but uh yeah i i i'll tell you what pat i guarantee you you would love this book i guarantee oh, yeah. In fact, I could see another interview coming. Just talking about that. Um, hey, yeah, I would, wel- <laughs> I would welcome it. I would welcome it because, as you can tell, I'm not shy about talking about the Beatles. <laughs> so I got to get the know. book first. <laughs> yeah, but, um, yeah. 
There you and go. There are many well-known pieces that Tom has had throughout his career as a collector that are staples, that are in museums, that are you yep. know traditional pieces now. Yeah, I mean, I had the last, I had the last contract of uh, with Brian Epstein, the Beatles, and Clive from 1967. I saw it was sold about 15, 20 years ago. But see, yeah. that's why I wanted to do this, Paz, because I mean, you know, when you do all the effort and 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 research and everything like that, I do for just one item. I mean, every item to me always is going to have some kind of a research to get the story behind it as much as I can. I wanted to put together this this book as two things. Number one was in my mind is a legacy, my my legacy part one. Hopefully, I'll have a legacy part two later. But also, too, this is an incredible autograph study for collectors who really want to learn about the Beatles and everything like that when they, whenever they feel comfortable buying anything. Well, I always like to ask, uh, you know, super fans, super collectors, this question. If Did you ever get to meet the members of the Beatles? Can I share one quick, can I share this story with you? I, would, I, I mean, it's a, it's a few, it's a couple of minutes, but I'll try to do as I, as, as best as I can, the short story of it. But in 1989, when Ringo was doing his all-star band for his first all-star band, his, uh, he opened up in Dallas, Texas. And uh, we found out we, it was going to be in Chicago. His next stop was going to be in Chicago and I'm from Indianapolis. So what I did was uh, one of the guys from Dallas who worked at the uh, airport gave me, uh, and he was a friend of mine, told me, he says, he gave me the flight number and everything where Ringo was going to be. So what I did was I skipped work and I drew up to, I, I drew, I drove up to uh, O'Hare and uh, we, we waited and there was a couple other people there. There were a couple other people there and I was looking at them. They were looking at me and I said, yeah, for Ringo. And they said, yeah, yeah, yeah. I said, okay, very cool. You know? So anyway, Ringo comes off the plane as, as, and obviously our first reaction is to bring something up to him to sign. And he says to me, and I'll never forget it. He said, he just said something. He said, not now. And I don't know what it was, Pat, but it must have been a 40 year, a 40 year expression of, of uh, disappointment that, that, that he saw in my face. Because what happened was he stopped his whole entourage and Barbara was with him. And all of a sudden he says, come on, walk with me. So I walked with Ringo Starr and Barbara Bach through the entire airport. And it was so funny because there were stewardess saying, that's Ringo Starr and Barbara Bach, but who's that guy in the T-shirt and short, you know, short pants and, and, and stuff. And, and so anyway, and he was, he was really getting into it. And I said, I, said I, I can't tell you much how much this means to me. And he said, he goes, oh, he goes, no, he goes, uh, he goes, no, it's a pleasure. And, and so he did. He walked all the way through the airport and then they went into this van. And then all of a sudden it was like me and him. And he says, now give me whatever you want me to sign. Mm. And he did, he signed it for me and everything like that. And I called my wife right afterwards. And then I got so excited about it. I taped it when I got home. So it was still in my head. I didn't realize back from what, 11, 20, 30 something years later, I could tell you exactly what happened that day, but I just wanted to put it on tape. But that was my meaning of Ringo. And then the only other time I saw him in concert and I had this big Beatles shirt on from the last photo session. Well, he comes off the van and I walk up to him and I, I it just was I was going in the car because I thought, well, I don't know if it's going to get a chance to get something signed or not. I walk up, comes out of the van, grabs my pen, signs for me, 
he only signs for one other item until he goes back, he goes into rehearse. Mm. And what happened was I said, this one movie hard to explain about a month later at the Beatle Fest, the one guy says to me, you're the guy with the shirt. And I go, <laughs> what are you talking about? He goes, you, you, how do you know Ringo? And I said, you saw that? He goes, no, me and my buddy filmed it. So what they did was they were kind enough to give me the film and showed me walking off the van, him signing my autograph and going in. So those are my, my, that was my meeting of them. And then I wrote to, I wrote to George and I wrote to Paul and they were kind enough to, uh, uh, send me back some signed material. I'm very curious what they would think of this collection. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, true. I mean, you know, the one thing about it is I think when you, you know, as much work and everything like that, and over the years that uh, that I've done this, and, and what's really cool about this is some of these things have never been seen before because I really never really ever put them out there before. But right. I did do a book. I did do a book um, a few years ago that highlighted how highlighted the Beatles along with some of the other artists that we might talk about later on. And uh, but uh, but yeah, it's it's going to be a it's going to be a it's going to be a great time. And and uh, like I said, I appreciate all the great questions you've asked me. Like I said, you can see I just kind of boom, you know. Yeah. So it was yeah. Fun. Well, thank you so much, and good luck with the auction. I know it will do well. I mean, all Beatles auctions do well, but this one's very special. And uh, we'll talk to everyone soon. Uh, we'll talk after the auction, and I definitely want to talk about that book. Oh, so, I look forward to it, and I and I really appreciate that opportunity as well. All right. Thank uh, you, guys. Thank Any you. last uh, words? Did you uh, want to say something? Uh, sure. I, I just, you know, from analogger to goldmine, like, thank you so much for doing what you guys do. Thank you for supporting this with Tom, you know, Tom's family to us. Yeah. And we're, we're thrilled about this. And um, to anybody that is curious, if you go to analogger, which is A-N-A-L-O-G, which is analogr.com, that's where this, uh, the preview will take place. And then the live uh, auction starts on the 29th. And then the Very events cool. will be displayed there. So if you happen to be in Los Angeles or want to tune in um, or come to any of these amazing events, uh, it's going to be incredible. Great. Well, you're an exciting new company. And of course, Mr. Fontaine, great collector. So thank, thank you, you for man. your time. Well, thank, thank you. you. And, thank you, and, you, yeah, so you take care of yourself and thanks again. And we'll all talk soon. Bye now. Okay. Thank you. achieve the American dream, the big house, the happy family, the money. 911, what's your emergency? Would you put in the hours? Would you take a big swing? What's the problem? What's the problem? Would you lie? Would you cheat? Would I shop? Would I shop? Would you kill? Yes. <laughs> My mom and dad. My mom and my dad. From Airship. The studio behind American Scandal comes a new true crime history podcast. I'm Jeremy Schwartz, and I'll be taking you inside the minds of some of our most notorious felons and outlaws, exploring the dark side of the American dream. 
In my new show, American Criminal, you'll meet the picture-perfect brothers who killed their parents, the thief who stole babies, the crypto king who siphoned off billions and plenty more. From assassins and gangsters to killers and con artists, whatever the case, whoever the criminal, you don't know the full story until now. Don't miss the debut season of American Criminal, The Menendez Brothers, beginning February 29th. Listen wherever you get your podcasts, or to get early ad-free access to the entire season first, plus hundreds of other ad-free history podcast episodes, subscribe at intohistory.com.